welcome back to another round of the fifth down and really we have a very good guest today that i'm excited for everyone to hear from but all i can really say to you bennett is just hello darkness my old friend Yes, and that's very fitting right now as I'm sitting in Kansas City where it's about 25 degrees and rainy, so, or <laughs> sleeting, so. Oh, very, good, that might come fitting. my way. Yeah, yeah that it, might come it, my right. way then, huh? it, Well, it's, if it's not in uh, Columbia already, it's it's going to be there, I feel like, for the long standing. All right, that's great. That's good. That's <laughs> good to hear. Um, so, this is obviously a day late, but one, big Chiefs kingdom in Sunday night football yesterday, That that's important, but then also... We had uh, the guest who's coming up here in about a minute or so, uh, Tom Hart. He agreed to come on. So uh, many of you that were watching the game at home would have heard him on the call. He calls a lot of games for SEC Nation or SEC Network, uh, whether that be football or basketball. Uh, Mizzou guy. And uh, I thought it was a pretty good conversation. What do you think? Yeah, he provided a lot of great insight, not only to our program in general, players, coaches, that type of thing, but really just the, the entire SEC conference in general. And I, I think – a big topic of discussion the past couple of weeks, whether it be on Twitter and just some of these like fan forums are fan expectations, where we're at in the conference. Um, you know, we've had certain Twitter figureheads tweeting out that our fan base is the worst. Um, Tom really, you know, did a deep dive into where Mizzou is at as a, as a program and how we relate to the SEC and, and why we're so far behind. And I thought it was pretty refreshing, um, just a really unbiased take on mm-hmm. on where we're at. And, and I mean, logically, it, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it's where Mizzou's at currently and where Mizzou's going and everything like that. Some thoughts on play calling and everything like that. So I think uh, we shouldn't let them wait any longer. What do you think? Give it to them. Joining us now on the fifth down is someone that plenty of people from Columbia, Missouri and Mizzou fans would know, uh, Tom Hart. Tom, how are you doing? I'm fantastic, guys. How are you tonight? Doing well, doing well. We appreciate you taking the time for this. Uh, I know Bennett kind of uh, slid into your DMs a little bit in his way to get you on here, so I'm glad that that is still that, works. Is that weird or is it just me? Say that again? Is that weird or is it just me? Oh, it's it's just kind of how we do that. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say, I was gonna say, Tom, if if only talking to girls on there was as easy as, as getting sportscasters on, man, I, totally life would be a lot better right now. So plenty of people will know Tom Hart's voice from uh, if you watch SEC SEC games, Mizzou games, or anything like that. Uh, Tom is a Mizzou grad, so it is. We are recording this on Monday, the Monday following the Mizzou Kentucky games, the twenty eighth, and. Uh, we talked about this right before I hit record. A great time to be talking Mizzou football. A lot of a uh, lot of things to talk about. I would say there are worse times. Uh, 1985 <laughs> comes to mind, but yeah, it's uh, not the best two week run here for this program. Yeah, so you were on the call on Saturday, and the weather obviously wasn't good. There was that uh, clip that's kind of gone a little that was making the rounds of y'all pull, pouring a water bottle or water onto a football. Kind of what was the thinking behind that? Just kind of. I was. I thought it was hilarious, though. Oh yeah, you know we spent a lot of time talking um, about wet ball drills and what teams do to prepare for playing in that weather. And Kentucky just had one of those games the week before against Georgia, and maybe that helped them out just a little bit, even though they put the ball on the ground a couple of times. And we do a weekly demo for the SEC Nation traveling show, in which we talked about kind of the same thing: how it's helpful as a quarterback 
if you throw the ball without the laces, without using the laces um, when you're playing with a wet ball. So, you know, it was my idea. I was like, you know, nobody will be able to tell that the ball is wet at home unless we actually get it wet. So it was my brilliant idea to dump water all over a broadcast booth full of electronics. But we're still standing. I love that. I would say, Tom, I just right now at this point in time, just the high expectations come into the year. Obviously, where we're at right now is is nowhere near where, where fans thought the program would be at this point in the season. From your point of view, especially calling the game last weekend, what, what do you think is the problem with this team right now? Well, you know, I'm constantly reminding people that in college football, it's not necessarily who you are um, – over the course of the season, it's who you are in a given week. And this is obviously a very different team than what we saw just a few weeks ago that was, you know, ranked in the top 25. And a lot of times you can say the same thing about your opponent too. It's not who you play as much as it is a lot of times when you play them. So, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I think this is a team right now that hasn't shown much of a fight. There's, there's not an identity of a team that plays with a sense of urgency. And back to talk to Barry Odom about that before the game. And, you know, he's a guy that has a sense of urgency. And he's a guy that played with a sense of urgency. Um, and for some reason, whatever it might be, we're not seeing that from his team. And he admitted that that was a, one of the most frustrating things as a coach is try to get, to get the 18 to 22-year-olds to understand exactly what's on the line And you can't just, you know, it's only 12 games. You can't just brush off a loss um, because it'll come back to haunt you. You only get so many opportunities. I think that's one of the cool things about college football is that every week seems kind of like every week is kind of a new season in and of itself. Kind of you're dealing with 18 to 22 year olds, but then also one game can kind of send your season either up or down. And so Mizzou started the season out against Wyoming, not well, and then, it was kind of doom and gloom for a second, but then a five-game win streak, but then here we are again, uh, two road games and two just lackluster performances. So I would say moving forward, what do you think Mizzou can improve on, basically? Well, the offensive line has to improve immediately. Um, you know, Kentucky is not a team that has been stout against the run this season. They are not a team that um, has done a great job of getting in the backfield and getting after the opposing quarterback. And yet there they were, you know, pressuring Kelly Bryant, mm-hmm. turnovers, shutting down the run game. Um, that's, that's number one. Um, it kind of goes hand in hand. If you just point to that one game, I thought the play calling was a little confusing. It was, it was evident that the passing game wasn't working and the receivers certainly deserve their fair share of blame. Cause even though it was raining, it wasn't the wind wasn't blowing. It wasn't really cold. It may not have looked at like it at home, but it was it was like 63 degrees for most of the game, 60, 63 degrees. So um, you got to be able to catch the ball in those circumstances. And they didn't. Um, and so you take all those things into consideration. I was surprised they didn't run the ball more. Um, you know, it just seems like kind of like what Derek Dooley said over the after the Vanderbilt game. Everything needs to be better. You know, across the board, there is there's no one on this team that is so good that they can cover the other's warts and make you forget about or cover up mistakes. Everybody's got to be good enough to do their job. Um, and 
over the last two weeks especially, that hasn't happened. Before we move on from the Kentucky game and, and really talk more of just the state of the program and, and then other storylines around the SEC and, and college football in general, I was just curious too, Tom, just because obviously you guys do a lot of game prep, um, you know, talking with players, coaches throughout the week. I mean, I did see that Lexington is about 150 feet higher than Columbia in elevation, so that could have been a factor. Um, but was there anything that you could sense, like, you know, in the week leading up that led you to think that Kentucky was just going to come out the gates and roll Mizzou? I mean, just just curious. No, it actually really surprised me. I, I think the line, depending on when you got it, was 10 and a half. I thought that was a little bit high. Um, and there are a lot of people that said the same thing. As a matter of fact, I went to Kentucky basketball practice on <laughs> Friday, and that was the first thing John Calipari said to me. He said, How's, how is this line 10 and a half? I mean, they just lost Mandy. This doesn't make any sense. Um, and, you know, people use that. And I, I wouldn't call John Calipari a casual fan, but when it comes to college football, I mean, people use that to gauge, you know, the strength of each program. And that obviously that obviously was way off. Um, don't, no, I didn't get a good indication that anything was amiss on the Missouri side. And I didn't have a, any good indication that the Kentucky side was especially fired up or had some crazy motivation for this game. I just think that, you know, playing on the road, they got down early and a couple of mistakes kind of broke Missouri's back. I, I, the biggest one, in my opinion, was the fake punt. Mm -hmm. um, that was a, a moment in the game where I really felt like Missouri – had momentum. They, they're coming off of a big defensive stand. They're going to have a short field when they get the ball back. And some dude runs for like, what, 70 yards on one play? <laughs> that, yeah, yards. it was a backbreaking. That was a backbreaking yeah. get. That was killer. I mean, that, that, was, that was worse than a turnover, in my opinion, because mm -hmm. at least a turnover, you have the ball in your own hands and something, something weird happens. Uh, they right. were completely ill-prepared for that play. So in doing game prep and everything like that, we've talked about it a little bit uh, this season, the theory of when you let a team that you see not as good as you like hang around, bad things are going to end up happening because then they start to get more confidence and everything like that. Yeah. On this, For this team, it seems like the lesser team is on the road is giving them tons of trouble. It's 0-3 now on the road. What changes for a team on the road versus at home? Is it really that big of a difference? Um. I don't think it is. I mean, it shouldn't be that big a difference if you're if you have SEC caliber talent. Mm -hmm. um, now, does that mean? Let me and let me just put that in perspective. Is it harder to win on the road in the SEC? Absolutely. If you're going to LSU or Alabama or Georgia, um, if you're playing against a, a ranked team in their stadium, especially at night in this conference, it can be really hard to win on the road. Uh, nobody has ever in the history of the SEC said that about Vanderbilt Stadium. Right. And very rarely would they say that about Kroger Field. It can get loud and it can get going, but because of the weather, that place was 60% full. Mm -hmm. um, so, no, there, there shouldn't be that big a difference in those two instances. And a matter of fact, most teams will tell you that, you know, it's easier to be more focused on the road. You, you got out of town, you got away from – class for a day it's just kind of all football and all meetings um and then the same thing on saturday it, it doesn't really make much sense especially the caliber of teams that missouri has lost to on the road 
and the caliber of teams that they've beaten at home. Now, I will mm-hmm. say this. I, I do think when we're talking about, you know, the Vegas line, um, I do think that Kentucky is a much better team than both Wyoming and Vanderbilt. So I, I didn't really consider it a major upset that Missouri loss. It was more along the lines of the way they got dominated in that game. Mm-hmm. One thing I kind of want to touch on too, and this might have stuck out during the call because we talked about game prep and everything like that. The big tight end for Mizzou, Albert Okoye-Bunam, his name was never called clearly in that game like for catching a pass or anything like that. We've talked about his issues blocking and everything like that, but how does Mizzou kind of get him more involved? Because clearly he's a talented pass catcher. Well, that's a, that's a really interesting question, and that was a question that we had for Derek Dooley, and we talked to Barry Oldham about it and the coaching staff, and, and I had never – I'd never, I hadn't read this. It's my first Missouri game of the year, but I had him a mm-hmm. couple of times last year. I hadn't read this or I hadn't heard it in another broadcast. So it was it was kind of shocking to me to hear this about a guy who's an NFL prospect. But according to the coaching staff, he's not able to play every play of the game. He He is, I don't want to say he's not in shape, but he gets winded to the point where they have to take him out of the game. Um, mm. To me... You know that that's that's understandable if you're a defensive lineman, right? You know, that's inexcusable for a guy who has NFL talent and, and is NFL prospect. Um, the fact that he can't he can't be out there for more snaps. And Dooley talked about the fact that you know once they get inside the thirty, they want to make sure they're going to him, and they've got special packages drawn up for him. But they went to him once. He had a drop. Um, and I don't, I think that was the only time they, they tried to get the ball to him. Now that really affects your offense in a lot of different ways. If you are an NFL caliber tight end in this league, you should be on the field as much as possible. And you should be drawing a lot of attention to open up other areas of the game. Um, when he's not on the field, he's not even effective as a decoy. So that was, I think for me, in anticipation of this game versus execution of the game, that was the most disappointing part of it. And to hear that it's at least partially because of his stamina, Mm -hmm. um, that was a major red flag. I hadn't heard that yet either, but it would make sense because you see Daniel Parker go in on a lot of plays and everything, who is a very capable blocker for the run game and everything. But clearly Alberto is a great pass catcher and a team that needs a little pop could use something like that, I would say. Yeah, Tom, thinking, thinking big picture, um, you know, we think about next year, uh, Kelly, uh, Kelly Bryant moving on hopefully to the NFL and starting all over with a new quarterback. What are you, I mean, just realistically, what do you think the ceiling is for this program in the SEC under Odom? I mean, is it realistic for fans to think that we can win nine, 10 games and compete for an SEC championship? I mean, with Nick Saban down there at Alabama right now, it seems pretty tough. But um, just what what are your thoughts surrounding that? Yeah, I think the biggest threat to Missouri is what Kirby Smart is doing at Georgia. Um, but at the same time, using Georgia as an example, it can show you how hard it is to win in this league. I mean, you go back and look at – I don't have a memorized, but the recruiting ranking since Kirby has been at Georgia, he is bringing in – class after class after class, just absolutely loaded. And obviously they have a seasoned, experienced leader at quarterback 
and yet they lost at home to South Carolina, and they got totally outplayed in that game. And they didn't look very good against Kentucky in the rain, final score notwithstanding. Um, so it's it's hard to win in this league. Can Missouri be an 8-9-10 win team? Yeah, absolutely they can. I mean, we saw it when they went to the championship game each of the first two seasons. We saw what they were able to do with you know Chase Daniel back in the Big 12. Um, but for this fan base to expect it regularly, I think is out of touch. I mean, the the budget alone that Missouri has, the revenue that they pull in, the support that they have both locally and statewide, quite frankly, pales in comparison to, um, to I don't want to say to all of the other SEC teams. It's, it's comparable to what the Mississippi schools have from a budget standpoint and a support standpoint. Um, but it certainly pales in comparison to the elite teams in this league. So the question is, well, how does it really affect you? It affects you, number one, in recruiting because the best coaches are the best recruiters. Um, and so it, ha- it makes it harder to bring in elite recruiting classes. Facilities play a major role in that. Um, Georgia, Alabama, LSU, Florida, those facilities are, are incredible. Uh, but on the, the, in the same vein, the best coordinators are making mm-hmm. seven-figure salary. And you have to – it's not just the head coach salary, and I've said this for years when it comes to uh, Missouri as an example – but you've got to have the best coordinators you can buy, and you're you're behind the eight ball in that regard. You just you're not going to be able to get or hold on to elite coordinators. And you can use, let's use Ole Miss as an example, real quick. Ole Miss has Rich Rodriguez as an offensive coordinator, and Mike McIntyre as their defensive coordinator. Both were coaches of the year at um, at Arizona and Colorado, respectively. Well, Rich Rod was forced out of his job for <laughs> off the field issues. Um, and he was looking for redemption. And, you know, why not go to a place where you can try to find it in the SEC? And Mike McIntyre was fired. And once he takes a head coaching job, it offsets the Colorado buyout, but he can be a coordinator and still collect his his money from Colorado. I think he's if if my math if my memory serves, I think the math is something to the tune of like three or four million dollars that he's getting paid this year, which would be, you know bottom third in the SEC in head coaching salaries, and, and he's a defensive coordinator. Um, that's the combined salary. So that's I think that's a lot more important than most people realize. Well, the first one that comes to mind as far as like keeping really good coordinators, I mean, Saban has a revolving door of coordinators, it seems, but uh, Venables at Clemson, he seemingly just wants to hang, be there the rest of the time, and he's making a very good salary doing so, and that's kind of how you retain top talent is pay them what – pay them what they're worth and that's then you get results on your field yeah and and uh, you know Saban's a good example he's obviously an outlier I mean he's the best coach in college football history um, they have the infrastructure in place there where he has shown that he is able to plug and play now he is a demanding coach um, there's a lot of people that don't want to work for him or that will only work for him for a short time and that shelf life expires uh, fairly quickly. And then, like you said, you know, what Dabo has, it's not just Venables, but basically Dabo's whole staff um, has been consistent there for a long time. And that's, you know, there's no secret to that success. And then you could look, you could look further down the road to, you know, getting an impactful coordinator and the difference they could make. And Joe Brady at LSU has been the most impactful offseason hire of anybody. And, 
we'll see his value when shortly after the season, LSU is going to announce that they're going to, you know, break open the bank and pay him anything that he wants to get him to stay around as long as they can keep him. Yeah. Speaking about that and LSU and just the SEC in general, pretty crazy year so far, not only in conference, but, but out of conference as well. Oklahoma losing this this last weekend really opens it up for two teams to get into the the college football playoff. What do you think is the biggest storyline so far uh, in conference this year? Yeah, I think um, I think what you just talked about. I think it's Alabama and LSU uh, on the precipice of a one versus two, and what will be really interesting. You know, you don't foresee Clemson losing because of their their schedule strength, but. Like we said before, 18 to 22-year-olds, anything anything can happen. Ohio State and Penn State, um, will the loser of that one have a chance to get in? Um, I think it, the, the SEC is poised once again to be the conference that can get two in. Um, they just have to make sure that, you know, between LSU and Alabama, that team wins the conference championship game, obviously. And um, on top of that, that they, they play – close enough that it's not a blowout. I don't think anybody from the East is a real th- threat. Um, you know, Florida is an intriguing storyline. I don't really know how they've accomplished what they have to this point to be seven and one. And Georgia, you know, Georgia's just kind of, they have really underperformed in my mind. Um, you know, their biggest win at this point would be the Notre Dame game. Notre Dame looked terrible Saturday night against Michigan. So, What's the real value of that victory? I don't think we know. I also think in Georgia, we've kind of seen the Georgia-Alabama play out a little bit a few times now at this point, so you're kind of getting a little blueprint there. But Georgia this year, to me, their biggest issue seems to be their receiving depth, and yeah. they're missing some of those guys that went to the uh, went to the NFL last year. No doubt about it. You know, you see what Mecole Hardman's doing at the next level, and obviously you're going you're gonna to miss a guy like that. Um it's just a bad combination for them because Jake Fromm is not a deep ball threat. Um, and from a play calling standpoint, when they when they try to draw something up, it has to be a perfect play call and it has to be near perfect execution in terms of receivers getting open because he just he doesn't have that bullet arm where he can fit it into a tight window or make up for mistakes. And so it really makes them pretty one-dimensional. And it's, I know it's disappointing to that coaching staff that the wide receiving core hasn't, um, hasn't evolved like they were hopeful it would because they certainly have some talent there. Uh, but to me, it comes, most of it comes back to the quarterback. You know, they're just, they're just not built to win high-scoring games. And we know that in 2019, to be an elite team, to first of all, to make it to the playoff, but then to have success – you're going to have to be a, a, an offense that can be explosive, and that's not who they are. Speaking of quarterbacks, um, you know, we've got Joe Burrow, who's lighting it up down there in the bayou for LSU. It's a, one of the first times they've actually had a QB in a long time. You think this season for LSU, I mean, do you think it's an anomaly under Ed Orgeron, or do you like an outlier, or do you think this is, you know, what's to come consistently? No, this is, this is what they wanted to be when he got the job. He just whiffed on a couple of different coordinators to get to this point. It goes back to what we were talking about earlier, the value of an offensive coordinator. They had Matt Canada in there and um, you know, a couple of years ago, and it looked like he was going to be a guy who could get them up to speed offensively. 
But from a personality standpoint, that wasn't going to mesh with Ogeron for a lot of different reasons. So he was out after a year and he finally found the right guy in Joe Brady to come in and run this thing. And it's funny, it was a perfect timing for Burrow too. In talking with Joe earlier, he said, I was totally out of place in that offense last year. It was a lot of play action, deep ball stuff, turning his back to the line of scrimmage. It's something that he never ran before. Uh, he ran a version of what they're running now in high school, what they're running now, similar to what he was running at Ohio State. And it just, it's a better fit for him. So um, before we kind of let you get out of here and everything like that, uh, we just kind of want to do some rapid fire Columbia, Mizzou, college football questions and everything like that. Not necessarily about the game, but just stuff that you've been involved. So you are a Mizzou made person. So you have your, you're familiar with Columbia being from Columbia and everything. So yeah, I didn't study this portion of the quiz. Oh, don't, oh, don't worry. These are super easy. These are layups. <laughs> These are layups. Don't worry. Um, I would say uh, the first one, favorite Mizzou game you've ever attended. Oh man, that's a fantastic question. That's a, and that's a really hard one. Um, I'm really bad with the years. Um, so I'm going to be off a little mm -hmm. bit on this, but you know, I was, I took a, I took a buddy of mine who was from Nebraska to their first win against Nebraska in like 25 years. Uh, okay. I want to say it was like 04, give or take. Brad Smith. Um, and that yep. was – yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, two, um, 2003, I believe. Yep, 2003. Okay. Okay. Very good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, man, I can't believe I was that You're close. close though. <laughs> and, it's, you know, to me what made that game special was just the feeling in the stadium – that every play mattered. Mm -hmm. And I remember in the first half, um, Nebraska took a delay game penalty and we we're all going nuts. And I went, wait a second. I mean, do we really think this game is going to come down to a five yard <laughs> penalty? That's stupid. Uh, and sure enough, you know, Missouri was able to pull it out. So that, that would be my favorite on the, uh, on the football side. And then on the basketball side, I was able to go to uh, actually, thanks to Mike Alden. He gave me his tickets and I went to the final Missouri-Kansas game in Columbia uh, before the rivalry went away, and I was able to take my dad to that game and was just, you know, was thrilled with it. I thought it was I thought it was awesome. I've been to a ton of those games as a kid, and um, the timing of it, I think, made it special. But that would be right up there, that Missouri-Nebraska game I was talking about. And I think everyone's excited about the recent news of the, the basketball rivalry coming back, so that's sweet. Um, who is this? Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I pulled Jim Sturkis aside. I pulled Jim Sturk aside the other night in uh, in the press box, and I told him we need to build a statue of him. I mean, I don't think he's <laughs> I'm on board with that. We just got to win some more football games first. Uh, <laughs> um, just curious too, who favorite Mizzou player growing up, uh, football and basketball? Um, yeah, I think basketball wise, it'd have to be Derek Chivas. Um, he was the first guy that I felt like really put Missouri basketball on the map I mean it, that wasn't the case but for for me and my age that's what it felt like because he ended up on the cover of Sports Illustrated and I thought that was the coolest thing ever um so he'd be up there I, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention my buddy John Sunbold who I work with now during basketball season um because he's you know he's a goat he's the best shooter I've ever seen in my life but yeah it, it'd have to be Derek Chivas and then as I you know a little bit further along the teams with the Anthony Peeler and Doug Smith and Nathan Butt and those guys, 
um, those were probably the most fun I ever had watching. Okay. Um, during your time in Columbia, what was the, your favorite bar to go to or hangout place? I guess I'd say if you don't want to go bar. Um, what, yeah. What makes you think I like to hang out at bars? I mean, that's, I just kind of, I, well, I just think anyone that kind of like calls football games and every in basketball games, they have to go to a bar eventually. That's true. That's true. <laughs> I was, uh, I was a Shiloh guy back in the day. It was when it was located closer to campus. Mm-hmm. Um, but I worked there and I spent many a night there. Um, so that, that would have been at the top of my list. Um, that was, that was a, a comfortable place to go to. I'm in the same boat. Big Shiloh fan over here. Love it. No, you know, no, my house or Roxy's <laughs> or any of those places back then, I guess, I guess. I not. mean, if you um, want to tell me the worst places I could hang out, then maybe, I'll, maybe <laughs> I'll give it a try when I, you know, next time I get a Missouri game, just yeah. I'm looking out on. For uh, for all the listeners out there, I, I was curious, what's an off the radar restaurant in Columbia that doesn't get enough love? Um, I think I I gotta go with D Rose. I gotta go with the smoked wings at D Rose. You know, so good. And, yeah, and it's funny the the folks that I talk to around the conference when they say they're going there, um, I always point them to D Rose just to kind of get off the beaten path mm-hmm. a little bit. Um, I said, you know. You're, you're going to spend a ton of time downtown, and that's cool. And, and there's plenty of stuff down there. But if you want to, if you want to just get away a little bit, you you got to. I mean, it's not like it's that far, but it feels totally removed from campus, obviously. So absolutely, yeah. And, and you know, my guy played football at Mizzou. Favorite rope was a Mizzou guy. Paraphernalia is really cool in that mm-hmm. place. So I'll go with that. All right, and then uh, one question. You, it just seems like everyone has to talk about it. But Booches or Shakespeare's? If you had to choose one. Booches without a doubt. Right. No, no. Perfect. Question. Aligned yeah. there perfectly. And then, uh, and then I got one that's not necessarily Mizzou centric, but what's the best game or your favorite game you've ever called? If you could pick one. Um, gosh, there's, there's really a handful of them. Um, I had Notre Dame at air force, uh, Oh six ish when they had Brady Quinn and Jeff Samarja. um, and Tom Zibikowski was their big linebacker, if I maybe got the name right. But it was it was unique because that was on a, a network. Well, it's now CBS College, but then we're called CFTV, I think. And um, it was the first Notre Dame game that anyone could remember that was televised on a network that wasn't either ESPN or one of the one of the major over the air networks. And we went. Uh, my partner and I, Trev Alberts, we went to South Bend to sit down with Brady and Samarja and talk with Charlie Weiss. And um, first of all, Weiss basically kicked us out of practice. So that was, that was a bummer. And we were pissed off. So we said, well, screw it. Let's go around the corner and grab a beer. And we went to this place called The Linebacker, which is a famous South Bend bar. And it's kind of hole-in-the-wall bar. And we walked in wearing our suits. So now we've got all these eyeballs on us. What are these dudes wearing suits? What is this, the FBI? And locals, you know, start asking us all these questions. And if it wasn't annoying enough, then when we actually admitted who we were and where we worked, then they got pissed. (laughs) And they're like, well, we don't get that network. This is bull that we got to, you know, and we're like, it was just the worst day ever. But it turned into a really fun game because anytime you can do, you know, anytime you can do Notre Dame, it made it so 
schedule and it brought a lot of eyeballs to it. If aside from Columbia, aside from Columbia, what's your favorite college town in the SEC? Ooh, they're all great. They really are. And they're great because they're unique and they all bring something different to the table. Um, Oxford, it's hard for me to get away from Oxford. The, what, no matter what you're looking for, it's all there. They have two James Beard award-winning chefs that run restaurants that are literally across the town square from each other. So the food is always good. Um, I'm going to borrow a line from Tim Brando that he said years ago that I think perfectly describes the scenery in Ole Miss. And he said Ole Miss is where they go. At Ole Miss, they redshirt Miss Americans. <laughs> I mean, once you think about it, and if you're ever there, you're like, I can actually see, like, I believe that line. Right. Um, and it's, just always, it's always a great party around football weekends. But they're, they're, all, they're, they're all great. Like, people like to hate on Starkville. I love Starkville. I love going to that town. I love Oxford. Athens is great. Um, they're all unique. And I guess I'm biased because when you roll into any SEC town on a football weekend, it's – it's going to be great one way or another because the people there are all fired up for a good reason. And it's, uh, it's where you want to be. I was just going to say one final one for Tom, you know, if you could go back 20, 19, 20 year old Tom back in the, uh, the Mizzou glory days, if you could choose one sorority to do a philanthropy with who, who would it be? <laughs> oh, that is a great had, question. I had to ask it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, my first inclination would be to spit out tr the tried-out house. Um, I just saw a buddy of mine who's a wildly successful doctor. I set him up with his wife, who was an 80 pie. So they were – we had great relationships with, with that house back in the day. Uh, but the DGs were the best. I mean, they were like they were they were the best for a lot of different reasons and a great hang so I that's, I that's who i would choose i think that's an answer that you know a lot of people were just waiting with bated breath for that so i'm glad we got that settled thank you very much tom i appreciate that <laughs> yes. so for those that are not already you can find tom on twitter at tom underscore heart you can watch him on sec network calling all your favorite games and everything but uh we really appreciate the time you gave us today tom thanks yeah, happy to do it anytime and uh, enjoy the bye week. It comes at the perfect time. Thank you. Will do. We'd like to thank Tom Hart for coming on the fifth down. Once again, you can find him on Twitter at Tom underscore Hart. Again, Mizzou guy. I thought what he had to say was some was really good, really refreshing, like you were saying before the interview started. But I think the thing that sticks out most to me was the little Albert O nugget that was dropped in there. Cause I personally had not heard that yet. Definitely. And it's something that as the season's gone on, we were talking about this off air, Albert O and, and other big factors on this offense in general, we just really haven't seen a lot of progression as them as players. Mm -hmm. um, and I think Albert O he's got all the talent in the world. He really hasn't brought it all together yet. He's unpolished. I, I truly don't even think he's ready for the NFL. I really, I really don't. He's had some childish flags. Um, he, he's not a polished blocker. 
he can't stay on the field for every single down. Um, I know he's coming off an injury, so have to be, you know, give him some leeway there. But um, that was, I mean, that was pretty honest comments from Tom, and those are coming from the coaches themselves. Yeah, it's just something that I just hadn't heard of. I mean, obviously, we've been talking about how Alberto is not a great blocker and everything like that through the season, and that's kind of one of the reasons he came back was to improve as a blocker. But if anything, and I hate saying this because I want Alberto to be very successful in the NFL, but if anything, yes. like it's almost like he's got, he might have to come back another year because there's some serious things that he's got to work on, uh, and clearly. Definitely, and, and just thinking about this team in general, guys like Albert O, Larry Roundtree, some of the, the receivers who had good years last year, mm-hmm. it just feels like a lot of people have regressed as far right. as a talent standpoint. It, it, the offensive line, especially. It's the first thing uh, that comes to mind there is the, yes. Is the line. Yes, and, and it's just – it's honestly from a player development standpoint, you know, we, we talk about the Gary Pinkle days. He was able to take – two and three stars and make them play like four and five stars. Um, and, you know, it's not like we are Missouri pumps out five stars on a year in year out basis. Barry Odom has started to get higher caliber recruits, but mm-hmm. let's not, let's not get it confused. We're built on two and three stars. I mean, that's just how right. it is. And the fact that the players are, are really not, you know, from just the, the untrained eye on TV, just the eye test, getting any better I mean it's it's definitely a cause for concern and I mean uh, one of many red flags for this team right now I think we talked about the Mizzou Kentucky game and a little bit of Vanderbilt with Tom but one of my biggest takeaways from the game is just that once again Mizzou kind of got popped in the mouth and everything but we didn't talk about this part with Tom and I meant to talk to him about it but the play calling to end the first half that didn't necessarily destroy Mizzou's chances in the game but you go from being down 15-0 to 22 nothing to end the first half for calling a timeout when you have 75 yards of field left or so that was a very interesting thing to do and luck I mean obviously you're not planning on a strip sack of Kelly Bryant or anything like that but given that your inability to move the ball thus far in that game I'm not entirely sure what the thought process in that game was in that situation was questionable to say the least and really a big turning point in the game and you know talking about Kelly Bryant he has been up to this you know this is probably easily his worst the last two performances have been lackluster for for his standpoint but you know even in the games where he did play well or he has played well this year he there's every single game there's been one or two big mistakes that he's made or just boneheaded interceptions Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's a huge area of opportunity for him. He's still, you know, as a leader and as a quarterback, he's got to know there, you cannot take a fumble there. Cannot. And at the end of the day, you know, it, it goes back to offensive line getting absolutely demolished. But at the same time, that just cannot happen right before half. And kind of speaking on offensive line, I mean, normally after, you know, a big loss and everything like that, a lot of the quotes that come from the team or from the coaches, has got to get better, look ourselves in the mirror, everything like that. One of the offensive linemen for Mizzou had an interesting quote that I think a lot of people are kind of reading into, trying to see what's going on, but he was saying that some some people aren't really doing what they're supposed to be doing off of the field, and that's kind of the first sign of friction I've seen in this team. I mean, think about, we talked about the like the program and the morale and everything like that. 
the it's been very high. I mean, there's been sanctions and the team stayed together. Only one person transferred for reasons not really related to the um, to the sanctions or anything like that. But that quote is a little alar- I don't want to say alarming because I don't know what it means, and it could be mean, mean absolutely nothing. It could be nothing, but it could be everything. Right. You you just you just don't know, and you hit the nail on the head. Coming into the year, I mean, just from everything that you saw on social media, all the players coming back, Kelly Bryant really just kind of galvanizing the team. Um, coaches fired up, a lot of buzz. It seemed like we had great team chemistry. And if that, in fact, is something's going on, I mean, really the last two games, we sit here and it's just kind of speechless how we've collapsed. I mean, it's it's really not it's, – it's kind of unfathomable, really. I mean – aside from the Monstars from Space Jam stealing their talent, I mean, I, seriously, I don't – what has happened to this team? And it very well could be something off the field that that we as the fans don't know about and probably will never hear about. Yeah, I don't think – unless it's something that, you know, just absolutely blows up and everything like that, I don't think anyone will ever have the exact answer to that. But you kind of said it, the, the regression, the talent, the talent's there. We know that there are talented players on this roster. There were plenty of – preseason buzz for a lot of players on this team and everything like that. And also there's been one major injury and that's to Kale Garrett. And really I know the defense, I know there's 29 points scored against Mizzou and they allowed a handful, a lot of rushing yards and everything like that. But it goes back to what we were saying last week. Your defense can only keep you around in a game for so long. Eventually your offense is going to have to score some points. And Mizzou has just proven to not be able to score any points these last two weeks. And I don't know what the heck happened. It can't be just all road games. Like that can't be the issue there. Exactly. And, and Kale Garrett obviously is just a huge, he's, it's a huge hole obviously to replace, but it's not like Nick Bolton and the other linebackers have, have played bad. Nick Bolton, you could probably say is, is aside from like Tyree Gillespie last game, probably the top performers on the team. I mean, he racks up the tackles. He's in, he's in position the majority of the time. He's not the problem. Um, it's just, yeah, you just kind of shake your head at where has this offense gone? Uh, we were singing Derek Dooley's praises after the Ole Miss game. Um, I mean, just all the plays he was dialing up and just keeping the defense on his toes. And I don't know if, if Kelly Bryant, Vanderbilt game was not 100% and going into this game as well. His decision-making looked very um, – it's like he was – he was thinking way too much and just not playing. You know what I mean? So just his sense of urgency wasn't there. It just, yeah, it's just what the heck is going on? Yeah. I don't really know what I honestly wish I could say, like, here's exactly what's going on and everything like that. But I mean, I don't hear much about something that's going on in the offense or the defense or anything like that. It seems like the team's still getting along rather well and everything. It's just the play calling has been, suspect and when you have a bad offensive line and the line's not playing near to its standards what everyone thought it would be uh, your team's going to fold in because your offensive line is where everything starts each game is won in the trenches and Mizzou's losing the trench battle but I think it's it's odd that Mizzou started the game pretty run heavy it was pretty diligent like hey let's go run this ball and they were having fine success with it it's not like they were doing bad but then something flipped and it's like, all right, well, it's raining. Let's just start throwing the ball a ton. I wasn't entirely sure what Dooley's play calling there. I, I just, in general, I mean, it just felt like the team quit. I mean, being completely honest, um, you just didn't see a lot of fight. I think, 
I think Gabe DeArmond from Power Mizzou had a tweet talking about how one of our trainers on the sideline showed more emotion than any player during the entire game. I mean, it's true. Like, guys just looked like they were disinterested in the game, and we let a wide receiver at quarterback just run the ball down our throat the entire game. And we got punched in the mouth in the beginning, and, and it was like the game was over from there. Mm-hmm. And just inability to capitalize on momentum – Special teams, again, reared its head. And I think what you talked about last week was spot on as far as Tucker McCann goes. I think, as because uh, he's been the subject of a lot of criticism and everything like that, but at this point, you kind of almost have to blame the coaching staff, the special teams and everything for what's going on with Tucker McCann. So he's asked, me, he's asked to, you said it last week, kickoff specialists, field goals, and punts. Ultimately, your mechanics are going to get screwed up there somehow. In in the midst of missing a couple kicks here and there, I mean, all, even the best kickers in the game miss occasionally. It Blankenship can, it can just, and yeah, yeah, Georgia. It can just it can completely mess with your with your head, and then you've got to figure out how to kick the ball in these different scenarios. Yeah, it can be it can be a huge problem, and it's why both college and pro you have specialists for both. Um and. We've talked about this since the beginning of the year. Special teams is going to come back and bite us if we don't get it figured out. And I think a, a major point in this game, and, and Tom talked about it, was the was the fake punt, which which it was not a play from what it looked like on TV. But if our coaching staff looking in the film room pregame or you know in in the the week leading up to the the game. The Australian punter, he he does that every single play. He he trickles out to the side, and I'm sure their coaching staff tells him, hey, if you've got a lane, take it. And that's something you have to pick up on film. I, it's like, is Andy, is Andy Hill paying attention here? Um, and, and at that point in the game, we had just come off a scoring drive. We had stopped them in their territory. We were gaining them. And then you just let the most unathletic guy in their entire team run 50 yards. Um, and we had two guys rushing on that play. What? Yeah, that was that was the game right there. I mean, it was simple as that. That was the game for the Tigers right there. I mean, yes, there were some other things that you could call the game. Mainly for me was the end of the first half. That was, but it was just last eight quarters of football for Mizzou has just been uninspired football, pretty much. Um, which is sad because we were after the Wyoming game. We've all, we all decided the Wyoming game was a fluke, which it might have been. I think it, I think you can chalk that one up to a fluke, given how the team responded. But what we've what people have seen in the Barry Odom tenure at Mizzou is that after a bad loss, like say Vanderbilt uh, or Wyoming this season, but after a bad loss like a Vanderbilt or something like that, the team has always responded. There is nothing that shows that they haven't responded, whether that be uh, towards the beginning of his career of of his tenure. Mizzou wasn't playing very well, and then they went to Kentucky and had a competitive game and everything like that, and then got on a little bit of a roll. But it was just—it's just an uncharacteristic of a Barry Odom team that we've seen so far is what's going on right now. And I don't know the fix, and it's just kind of doom and gloom right now, which is unfortunate. But um, we there's a bye week, I guess, but the team coming off a bye week isn't very good, I think, or hasn't been very good in the past. So that's interesting. The buy definitely could not come at a better time, but that's right. what, that's what's just so disheartening about this entire thing is just we have the talent. We should be eight and zero right now, and 
at minimum seven at and one. minimum and we've got one of the easier schedules in the entire sec this oh. year it was set up for success um we thought we would have learned our lesson against wyoming um and yeah staple of, of barry odom teams has been the comeback right the, the week after and i think that's why uh, part of the reason why we were mm-hmm. 10 point favorites according to vegas going into this game or nine and a half um our three games this year, Mitch, where we lost, we were combined 49-point favorite. Yeah, and that's not good because the games that Mizzou's lost, for the most part, Mizzou hasn't been in the games really it, it, either, it, which is a problem. It all falls back on coaching. I mean, as much as a, as a, a fan and a, a major endorser of Barry Odom as I have been in the past, I mean, how can, it, how can you not start to question um, – you know, the head of this program right now. Um, you can't get players to get up for a game like this um, when we still technically still have a chance at, a, at an SEC, or excuse me, SEC East um, title um, and just having the chip on our shoulder with the NCAA sanctions and coming off of just a undressing against Vanderbilt. This is how they come out against a wide receiver at quarterback. Are you kidding me? I mean, seriously, it's a it's a joke. Yeah, I mean, it was, it, yeah, it it was a joke of a performance, really. It's just not. I know that's kind of like that's a little bit, you know, it's hot takey or something like that. People might say, but on, honestly, it's just a, this. I mean, yeah, we are following the team, we talk about them and everything like that, but we still have a we still have a piece of fandom in us and everything like that. And this is just this is just fans being upset, really. I mean, it's just a, not a great direction for the program. Right, yeah, I mean. As we should be. Yeah, you can't just throw your hands be. up at everything and be like, well, it's not it's not great right now. No, it's like you. There's the only way to improve, really, is you can't always just say, all right, well, got to still support them and everything like that. I'll still always support Mizzou. I'm, I go to the games. I do everything I can to support them, really. But, like, it's just sometimes I don't really want to be – the one like the absolute homer and be like, no, it's all going to be okay. Like, no, there's, there's some serious like mirror looking Mizzou has to do. And, um, the bye week is a great time to do that. And we shall see how this team returns after a bye week. Morale, morale is very low right now. And it kind of, for me has the feel after, um, the Purdue loss several years ago where, Purdue had like won two or three games the year prior, hadn't beat a, a power five non-conference opponent in like a decade. And they just wiped the floor with us at home. And it looked like we had just completely quit. Um, and you're thinking, holy cow, is this program just in the in absolute dark right now? And, and honestly, it, it the only way is up right now. I mean, you, you can't really get much worse than it is right now. And being a Kansas City guy, um, having Kansas and Kansas State in my backyard and with them having new coaches and their team seemingly having less talent than, than Mizzou and showing lots of signs of improvement. I mean, it, seriously, it, it makes you really start to question, is, is Barry Odom the right guy for this job? And I didn't think I'd be saying that here eight games in after the, the Kentucky game. I, I really didn't. And it's just, it's very sad. Right, and yeah, final kind of final-ish thoughts before we get out of here and everything like that. There, Every time Mizzou loses, there is a pocket of the fan base that always wants to get rid of Barry Odom, and this is not what that is right here. Let's make that very clear. What's going on right now is that yes, 
Barry Odom might very well might be the right coach, but it's fair to ask right now, after these two losses and the way the losses have looked, that is he the right guy? Not saying, hey, go ahead, get rid of him, go into the bye week with an interim. We're not, no one is saying that right now, but it's fair to question right now, is Odom and company the right people to be leading this program into the other parts of of the stratosphere of college football? Like, it's shown regression. Player development has shown a little bit of regression and everything like that, despite a few outliers here and there. Uh, Decision-making, still a little suspect here and there. Time management, etc. So it's not we're not saying, like, grab your pitchforks and go fire Barry Odom. Not like that pocket of the Twitterverse or the fan base or anything like that, but it's time to that to where people need to be like, I don't know anymore. Like, I love Odom, but yeah, I just don't know. Yeah, I mean, in... in... Like we said, the bye is coming at a perfect time. You still have great opportunity in front of you. Barring the, the sanctions being upheld, a bowl game mm-hmm. is is still attainable. Um, but it, at the other side of the, of the ball, I mean, it, it could go completely south and we could turn into a dumpster fire situation, which right. it, it certainly feels like that's closer than, than the opposite. Yep. I mean – that's that pretty much I think between the talk with Tom, the talk with you now after that, um, I'm feeling a little bit I'm not feeling better, don't get me wrong, but like I feel like I've exercised some demons though. I think they've yes. been exercised a little bit. Yeah. Yes, this is always therapeutical coming off a, yeah. a tough loss and you know, the Chiefs losing yesterday didn't help us right. well. So <laughs> Yeah, so hey, I know, it is what it is. Basketball season's right around the corner. Which is a seamless segue into saying that uh, be sure to subscribe, rate, review to all of Rockham Nation podcasts. Um, we read those. I appreciate them personally. Uh, also check out all the ro- work on RockhamNation.com, whether that be football thoughts, podcasts, basketball thoughts, other sports, anything like that. Um, follow Rockham Nation on Twitter at Rockham Nation, so absolutely named. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at mhill underscore, and you can follow Bennett at Hughes underscore. You are daddy. And like we started the Tom Hart interview, Bennett did slide into his DMs to book that interview. And so, if you give him a follow, you might be getting some DMs, and you might end up on a podcast. It's not bad, I would say. Cannot cannot guarantee, but you know, you <laughs> never know. For the for the award winning listeners, anything. Right, exactly. So um, until next time, we will be back for another round of the fifth down. And um, here's to some brighter days ahead, MIZ. Mm-hmm.